Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to FN Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. And as we are... In the holiday season, officially, happy Hanukkah, shalom to all of my Jewish friends. I believe that we are now in the third night of Hanukkah. Am I correct, Mr. Ainsworth? I think we're between third and fourth, yeah, because it's the days start at the sunset of the night before. So, yeah. So, uh, we got a lot of friends who are getting tons of presents over the next uh, eight <laughs> days. Congratulations. Happy Hanukkah. Mr. Ainsworth, let's jump into our gold stars with a joint gold star to Jackson Hay. So you put this up on your Twitter. I saw the jersey, which stood out to me. Jackson Hay is the first Chinese-born football player. It's believed in Division One, but he's definitely the first Chinese-born football player to score a touchdown, which is right. incredible. He's a running back for Arizona State. Um, they were blowing out Arizona. 
He gets in. Basically, Jackson Hayes is the reason why Kevin Sumlin got fired, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the cool thing for him is that, you know, for him and cool thing by the university, by Arizona State University, is that they let him use characters on the back of his jersey to spe- to say his name as opposed to English letters. Um, and, and I think it just it lets him be, you know, a little more authentically himself and like kind of gives people a insight into who he is just from walking around in warm-ups with his jersey on, right? I mean, because they have helmets, and it's hard to see who everyone is, but he's very easily identifiable just by the characters on his jersey. Yeah, shout out. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call him Hey Peijong, because his mama named him Peijong. I'm going to call him Peijong. But <laughs> he wants to go by Jackson, so shout out to him scoring that touchdown. Obviously, lots of history being made in college football over the last few weeks. So now with our first solo gold star, Mr. Ainsworth, I'm going to give a gold star to Mr. Kevin Holland, who fought last night in UFC 256 and did something I've never seen before. Now, again, Mr. Ainsworth, I am the UFC guy, so this might not be something that you would know, but I think that intuitively you could understand that if your shoulders are flat on your on the back, on the ground, it's going to be very difficult <laughs> to knock someone out. I think that anyone could understand that. Kevin Holland did this yesterday. Kevin Holland has his shoulders flat on his back. Uh, Jacare Sosa is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master, one of the best practitioners of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in UFC history. That's the dude that's on top of him. Incidentally, Jacare stands for, like, uh, I believe it means crocodile in uh, Portuguese. That lets you know what that dude's like when he's on top of you. So uh, (laughs) Kevin Holland loads up a right hand from the bottom, sways and connects and stuns Jacare Sosa, then loads up a left hand and catches Jacare Sosa, hits him so hard that Jacare Sosa backed up off of him and got up off of him. Kevin Holliday stands up, connects with a 1-2, puts Jacare Sosa out. I've never seen a knockout like that before watching all the UFC fights that I've watched. So shout out to Kevin Holland. That was an incredible KO. Definitely, he deserves a $50,000 bonus day in the white, so make sure that man gets it. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about your first gold star, sir? Um, my first gold star goes to a school in Milwaukee, the Salam School. I think it's Salam School. And it's a, a Muslim school in Milwaukee that has started a women's basketball team that is apparently fairly competitive and strong. They have obviously altered uniforms to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and can continue to practice their religion while playing basketball. But it's fascinating to see this story break out as I think I saw that they're you know currently 14 and 4. And part okay, of me is like... Ball. I was about to say, part of me is like, whoa, 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 how are they playing that many basketball games? But that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, just that they've already got that many games in is crazy. But that they're, you know, apparently also good. This is not just like a feel good story, like, oh, yay, everyone can play basketball. It's like, no, no, everyone can play. <laughs> so shout out to the Salam School in Milwaukee. Speaking of stories around religion, this goes to, goes to Utah State and their football team. The Utah State football players met and decided that they will not play their game against Colorado State, which was scheduled to be played yesterday, Saturday, we're recording on a Sunday. The reason why is because Utah State fired their head coach, Gary Anderson. And incidentally, if you don't know a lot about Gary Anderson, you should look up that dude. He gets fired, and the interim coach, Frank Maley, is coaching Utah State. The players like Frank Maley, so he's up for the head job. Now, Utah State ends up going with Blake Anderson, who's the head coach, or who was the head coach at Arkansas State, and that makes a lot of sense. Blake Anderson's a good coach. I think he'll go into Utah State and do well. That being said, apparently during the interview process, Noel Cockett, who's the president of Utah State University, made some prejudiced comments about Frank Maley because he's Mormon. And the Utah State football players, some of them were in on that Zoom conversation. 
So they shared that with the rest of their team. And the team wasn't having it. So the team basically said, hey, listen, we don't have anything against Blake Anderson. We would love to meet Coach and the new staff. But those comments tell us that Frank Maley didn't get a fair shake. And for our president of our university to be the one who made those prejudice comments, that's cool. We're not playing. So player empowerment, we'll see what happens with Noel Cockett. I, I don't know how she survives this, but, you know, sometimes these folks manage to survive these, uh, these controversies. <laughs> so we'll see what yeah. happens with her. Yeah. But shout out to Utah State, player empowerment. Like, I, I'm all for that. For sure. Always for players getting to speak their minds. Except for in the case of Kyrie Irving on Sunday. So I think so there's some things about what Kyrie Irving <laughs> said that are, we'll say, it's more about the problem seems to be more with the messenger than the message about like speaking to media and this and the other. But he had a quote that could probably get its own detention, and that's not where I'm going exactly with this, but a quote where he said that he does not talk to pawns. His attention is worth more. And my gold star, while well, I could detention Kyrie Irving and give him time of day he doesn't deserve, I'd probably give him too many minutes on the podcast. My gold star goes to Kevin Love, who obviously is a former teammate of Kyrie Irving's, knows him fairly well. They won a championship together with LeBron back in 2016. But Kevin Love's response was calling anyone a pawn is a sign of disrespect, and he doesn't think it's right to be that divisive. And this, and so without being necessarily called out or anything like that, Kevin Love, who continues to champion things like mental health, goes like, whoa, 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 who are you calling these people like the media that's doing their job, like calling them pawns. Like that's the their job is to cover you playing basketball the same way your job is to put the ball in the hoop. Like it, they're just doing their job. And so shout out to Kevin Love for taking the high road there. And maybe Kyrie shouldn't have left the mentoring of Kevin Love and LeBron James so early. Kyrie Irving has a lot to learn just about life. Like the fact that the earth is round. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to jump in with this first detention and it goes to the University of Florida. We can even more specifically narrow in on Marco Wilson. Just know that the University of Florida lost last night to LSU. Not a lot of people have lost to LSU, but they did. <laughs> um, the deal is Marco Wilson gets a 15-yard personal foul at the end of the game that leads to the game-winning field goal kick by Case York. who uh, He made a 57-yard field goal to secure LSU's victory over Florida at the Swamp. So shout out to Case York. But Marco Wilson, in the midst of a tackle, pulls a kid's shoe off and then throws it. So he gets a 15-yard personal foul, which allows LSU to get into field goal range. But the reason why I went to detention the entire team is because there's no way that game should be 34-34 if you're really a playoff <laughs> team, Florida. And you're at home. You're at home. I understand that Kyle Pitts, who is their best receiver was not playing yesterday. And he's a difference maker. That being said, Kyle Trask threw for over 470 yards. He threw two picks. He also threw two touchdowns. It feels like you had enough to beat LSU, and you managed to lose that game with dumb decisions being made by Marco Wilson, but just you didn't play well enough, and now it's going to cost you an opportunity at the playoffs. So detention to Florida for basically making me feel like an idiot because I've been pumping them saying that maybe they could beat Alabama. And it's like, okay, y'all can't even beat LSU. So no worries there. Uh, Mr. Hitchworth, how about your first detention, sir? My first solo detention, I guess I'll say, uh, is <laughs> going to go to Joe Buck. 
Joe Buck uh, last. It was Tuesday Night Football, which is its own weird thing, I guess. But when the Ravens were playing the Cowboys, uh, was talking about how Justin Tucker hadn't missed a kick inside of 40 yards since, like, know, <laughs> 2015 or something the like that. The old announcer jinx. And sure enough, he shanked one left. The Dallas Cowboys kicker proceeded to miss his own handful of kicks as well. It was not a very good <laughs> kicking day on Tuesday in Dallas for whatever reason. You can't really blame the conditions because it was indoors, but... <laughs> Uh, detention to Joe Buck because you always save that comment for after the kick goes through, not before the kick happens. Incidentally, my wife was going against someone who had Justin Tucker on their fantasy team, and she was losing only by six points. So we were rooting for him to miss that kick. And so when he missed it, my wife got really happy. She still ended up losing her matchup, and now she's out of the playoffs. But, I mean, it was it was a good moment, actually, in our house when uh, the announcer jinx went off. <laughs> um, my next detention goes to you. Parker Ainsworth, my detention goes to you because of the comment that you made on Twitter about the article that came out, I believe it was SI, where Dame Lillard talks about how he's going to start pulling up from half court. And he's already a guy who will pull up from 30, 35 feet. So it's not like Dame Lillard doesn't shoot from deep. Of course he does. But your comment to that was that you felt like this was going to be game changing. And my thought is, how is that game changing? He already shoots from 35 feet. He already gets picked up full court. To me... It didn't feel very game-changing. It felt like a lot of bluster. So I'm just curious as to your thoughts. Why do you think that that would be game-changing? <laughs> because it's adding another 17 feet to a 30-footer. Uh, what I will say, it's, that's legitimately 47 feet away from the basket. Like the mid-court line is 40, middle of the floor, mid-court line is 47 feet away from the basket. I think I call it game-changing, though, because it's much in the same way that like the shots that Steph Curry and Dame Lillard and so many of these NBA guys take now are shots that were called bad shots 10 years ago, right? And so many of the shots that people were taking 10 years ago, like threes in transition, and I guess it wasn't quite 10 years ago when the Heat started doing that, but you had guys taking threes in transition in 2012 and 2013. Those were bad shots five years before that. Like, if we're at a point where an open half-court shot is not considered a bad shot in five years, that is changing the game. That, <laughs> like, is, that is, but that's the thing. He's got So it's not game-changing to take them. It's game-changing to make them. Now, if he's going to make 50% of them, okay, then that's game-changing. But he ain't. He's shooting from 47 feet. He's going to make 20% of them, which means he ain't going to shoot them. Steph Curry already crawled so that Dame Lillard could walk. I will say that he would have to act like it's one thing to say he's not going to actually do this right but i i think it would be interesting to say that like you know in 10 years we're looking back at like now we're covering a 30 year old luka Doncic at the half court line because that's where the nba game is gone <laughs> i mean that'd be very different that'd be very very no different. i i agree interesting for sure game changing yet to be seen um <laughs> mr Ainsworth, how about your next attention sir so instead of just pointing my detention at you, I'm going to share the <laughs> detention for the two of us. Uh, I'm detentioning us because we are apparently the bad luck bandits of sorts. Because every team <laughs> we say has a chance at doing something cool, whether it's like you mentioned Florida last night, or we mentioned, talked did a whole thesis about the Seattle Seahawks going undefeated when they were like sitting at 6-0 and or something. More recently, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And <laughs> your BYU, <laughs> your, oh goodness, uh, your BYU fandom has been called into question because since they lost, I hadn't heard you, I hadn't gotten a text from you about them yet. <laughs> but I will say that it seems like whenever we root for a team or do a thesis, like we recorded the thesis on Sunday, and then 
about the Pittsburgh Steelers going undefeated and potentially still not being the favorite in the AFC. The next day they kick off at four o'clock Eastern and lose. <laughs> it did not take long for that one. So uh, detention to us for seeming to be the jinx ourselves, I guess. No, I can't wait until we do our NBA preview podcast and I pick the Knicks and you pick the Rockets and then it'll just be like... <laughs> and that's going to be why. It's going to be no other reason except Absolutely. We we'll we'll have to blame ourselves. Um, speaking <laughs> of blaming ourselves, we do have a great podcast that's going to be coming up and it's going to be basketball chock full. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA and how they are dealing with load management in the season post-COVID bubble. We're going to talk about James Harden. And we talked a bunch about Russell Westbrook last week. What makes the most sense for James Harden in terms of a landing spot? And then we'll wrap up with a conversation about college basketball and whether or not in this COVID season it's okay to cancel all of your non-conference games. Spoiler alert, it's not. (laughs) Without further ado, (laughs) Mr. Ainsworth. Are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Cummings, our first thesis in our basketball-filled week this week (laughs) is about the NBA and load management, because we could all use a day off. Um, So the NBA, (laughs) the thesis reads, the NBA allowing load management in early season games in 2020 is bad for business. What say you? Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there who think teachers have been load managing for like the last few months. They're stupid, by the way. Yeah, they're but, um, <laughs> so dumb. So, so dumb. <laughs> oh, this is so much harder from home. But anyway, when I think about the NBA and kind of them shifting on their load management rules, A and F reasons. So I'm going to go C. How are you feeling about this one, Mr. Ainsworth? So I've got also A and F reasons, but I think I've got more F reasons. I might go like C minus, like not to like try and be different, but I, I think that I might think of, anyway, I think I might go on the lower end of it, so. All right, Mr. Cummings, we came across fairly similarly on this one. Um, I'll be interested to hear what your reasons are, because I know what mine are, but I think we might come at it differently even when we came to the same place. No, absolutely. Um, so the idea of the NBA and load management and it being bad for business, I decided that that was a C. Let's go backward to come forward, which is understand the NBA's policy around load management. So load management is not a new issue. It's something that's been talked about pretty heavily over the last, I want to say like five, six seasons, as really rest and analytics have begun to play into how you manage your star players and your older players as you make that playoff push and you make that championship run. The first team I remember hearing about load management with were the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I do imagine that this was happening around the league, but the Spurs, it seemed more public that as Tim Duncan was aging, He would play fewer games. As Manu Ginobili was aging, he would play fewer games, right? And then with the Toronto championship and with the departure from San Antonio of Kawhi Leonard as he goes to Toronto, you start to hear a lot about load management of star players as you progress toward the playoffs and championships, right? And we heard a little bit of it with LeBron James as well, with LeBron James being the star of stars in the NBA, and of course, playing in all these finals, playing on these Olympic teams, and really not getting a break. And this idea of role managing him to make sure that he's ready for the biggest games. The NBA basically came out and instituted a policy where they said, hey, listen, if you rest your star players for nationally televised games, you're getting fined. So there's no load management when we got nationally televised games because those are our biggest games. Those are showcase games. With this post-COVID season, there was actually a memo that was issued 
by Adam Silver, the commissioner, saying that they're going to actually ease up a bit on load management because they understand that coming off of the post-COVID bubble, the vacations that players normally have, it's not the same length, right? Even though players did have a huge chunk of time off between, you know, Rudy Gobert and the start of the bubble, they did play that bubble condensed season. And so Adam Silver's basically saying, hey, listen, the vacation time wasn't the same. The rest time that players normally have to get the wear and tear off the body is not the same. And I'm going to ask him to come back and play a lot of games in a condensed season. So we, we're going to be a little more lenient with load management. But here's what you have to work with us. You can't rest your star players on these nationally televised games. Like That's something we can't give on. Yeah. Right? But we can still allow you guys to do load management a little bit more frequently in order to make sure that your stars stay in shape because we don't want those guys getting injured. My take on this is... I understand the post-COVID piece. That's that's an A. Like being, this is what Adam Silver gets right that other commissioners don't. He understands that it's worthwhile to take into account player sentiment. And I imagine that there was player sentiment from the union to Adam Silver about coming back around Christmas. If we're going to do this, then, hey, we, we're going to need you to help us in terms of the rest piece because we're coming back pretty darn soon. And so for Adam Silver to be responsive, that's an A. This is a dangerous precedent to set to say, hey, we're going to be okay with this load management piece because what happens when it's LeBron James who plays in the finals, then goes plays in the Olympics in 2021 and then comes back and he says, hey, listen, you were cool with it back then. I didn't get a bunch of rests. You need to be cool with it now, right? right. What if what, what if Steph Curry makes a deep run with Golden State this year? What if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving make a deep run? These guys could be on the 2021 Olympic team playing in Japan and now they ask for the load management thing. So now you've essentially set yourself up where you said, hey, it was okay in this instance. Well, why would it be okay in this other instance, right? And I can imagine that there are going to be other instances like that that players will bring to the table because you said that it's okay here. Well, so I want to see my because I read it as it being bad for business. If I agreed that it was a bad thing, I'd give it an A. So I think it. I think it's probably closer to a good thing because I think that it's always worth mentioning that these are players' bodies and like this is how they put food on the table, like using their body. And so like preserving that makes sense to me. I also think that the NBA schedule itself is grueling and we don't think about it as like it essentially, if you are good, you are playing competitive basketball from the start of training camp in early October in a normal year through like you want to be playing in June. Like that's a long, long time to put your body through this, right? That's not even counting all the traveling, the planes or whatever, right? Um, and it's it those things have gotten nicer but they're certainly not, it's not like the writing coach like Bill Russell was, but they're also not like able to sl like sleep through a game or whatever, or like take a game off because they are nationally televised now. Like there were people playing on tape delay back then. So it's, it's a whole different deal. I think as I look at this, when I think of the A reasons, I think of the A reasons being obviously the players, he's throwing the players a bone after rushing some of them back, which you know, there were reports that LeBron wasn't going to show up and play for the first month if they came back before Christmas, and this is a way to throw them a bone there. I also think it's worth mentioning that when the NBA came back after the lockout season, that was when the Spurs themselves got fined for this. They straight up sent guys home yeah. on a road trip a couple days early, right? And so Pop sent Tony and Tim and Manu home early while they were finishing on a road trip saying they're not going to play the rest of the way anyway, and they might as well get home and rest. Uh, and they got in some trouble with the NBA. And so that was another condensed, shortened season where they try and rush it. There were multiple teams playing four games and five nights and traveling in between. And the, like that was a grind of a season as well. And so 
people worried about that happening this year. It's another way to throw the guys a bone. Like, look, it is a lot of games in a short amount of time, but we're okay if you take off a couple of random nights. My worry and why this could be bad for business, so I, I think of those as A reasons in this thesis, is like you said, the precedent it sets, right? Because the truth is, is it's just this Pandora's box of once you've opened this up and you admit to guys that you don't need them to play every game to go get your money as a league, why are they going to play every game as a league? Like, I just don't <laughs> understand why, why would they do that? If you've admitted now that you're okay with, you're, the money will be okay, we just need to get the games in, then why is LeBron going to not take his two weeks off in January, February, like he had for so many years? Uh, why would Kawhi Leonard play back-to-backs? Why would Russell Westbrook play back-to-backs, right? Like, this idea of it's okay to take care of your body and miss work is a thing I think we can all get behind, but does the NBA need to not open this Pandora's box because of what it's going to do to future seasons? Well, and the deal that comes along in my mind is if you've already set the precedent that, hey, we can play shortened seasons and still get the impact in terms of playoff games in a championship, feels like that's going to be something that the players union is going to bring up <laughs> the next time you want to collectively bargain. Why are we playing 82 games anyway? Based on the things that you've asked for, Mr. Ainsworth, which is a, a, a more friendly schedule on players' bodies, I don't know that you could do that playing from November to June. The only way, because the there's only so many days, the only way to really make it more friendly is to play fewer games, no? Well, fewer games. I also think it's this weird admission they're making that the national casual basketball audience like i don't think you or i fall in this category right like i watched <laughs> clips of i was in and out of watching the rockets preseason game on friday night to see john wall come back like i like i'm into this right but i think the national casual audience doesn't tune into a lot of basketball games till the nfl is over right and that's in early february and so the national audience is majority of people that aren't watching till mid-february anyway so I don't know that Silver cares if you're not playing on that random Tuesday in December or that random Wednesday in January because he knows most eyes aren't paying attention until then. Like most people don't even think about the fact that on Christmas Day in a normal season, you've already played six-ish weeks of NBA basketball. No, I mean, and really Christmas Day is the unofficial start, right? So like I understand what you're saying, which is like people will might really jump in February and it's actually now you're starting to get close to All-Star break, right? Uh, but in my mind, basketball, NBA basketball starts on Christmas Day. And I'm a basketball fan. Like, I watch those Knicks games, and I, I, listen, you know I'm a basketball fan, so I watch the Knicks. But I'll watch those <laughs> Knicks games in October in preseason and watch the November and December games as well. But really, I do think that in the mind of casual sports fans, the season starts at Christmas. So it feels like maybe this is the NBA's admission that we shouldn't be starting until Christmas anyway. And you can't do 82 games, obviously, in that time. Even if you do 65, which means you're shortening the season, it feels like that's a lot of games, right? And that's what we're going to try to do now. We're going to try to get that many games in in this condensed period of time. And it feels like that's yeah. going to be a lot of wear and tear, man. Silver may never back off the 82 games thing. Uh, because well, he there can't. Are some I mean, it's not even Silver. It's the owners. The owners are not going right. to give back that revenue. Well, he... And he speaks for them, I guess I should say. So I, I'm using him, but you're right, it's 30 other people as well. But I guess that the league will not back up 82 games. And they'll use things like, oh, but the idea of, you know, points in a season and the record books and the integrity of this. But it's like <laughs> you're saying, it's really about the money. And they want of course the it's about the money. Nobody they cares want about the, the asterisks. Right. right. <laughs> Mark Cuban wants the money, the gate from 41 home Dallas games, right? And he wants the TV money from having, you know, what is it? 
20 Dallas Mavs game on national television. And if you're only going to get a fourth of your games on national television, it better be 20 because that's a fourth <laughs> of eight, right? And so I think that there is that as well. The The deal to me is just interesting that they're admitting that if this is the, the Pandora's box is that we're going to allow this in the early part of the season to kind of get your body ready. Well, next next year's early part of the season, if everything goes like it ought to go, will come after a season that ends at the end of June, early July, the Olympics, and this crazy COVID year. And I don't think people are going to be watching many NBA games, like I'm saying, on Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and all of these football days in the like fall anyway, because that's the end and crunch time in football season. And so I, I just think that it's him understanding that this is a way to make some sort of a peaceable, you know, we're still going to play 82 and you're still going to have it on the schedule and so on. But if you don't want to play during football season, that's okay too. It's an interesting caveat that he made as well, which is, so with this whole, we're going to let you ease up in terms of load management. One of the caveats, obviously the national televised games you got to play. One of the other caveats is you can't load manage on the road. You got to, you got to play in the road games, which is interesting as well. Like in a COVID season, there's not going to be a bunch of fans. But it feels like that's a precedent that's being set for future seasons. Like almost yeah. an acknowledgement that low management is going to come. Eventually we're going to have fans back in the stands. And LeBron James has to play in Cleveland. He has well, to play in New York. He has to play in Philly. And that's entirely for gate sales, right? Because LeBron goes across the country to play in Philly once a year. I mean, every ticket at every stadium is prorated based on who's coming to town. And whether it's LeBron or Steph or whoever is coming across the country to go play in the Garden – they need to know that you are showing up to play in the garden because they're going to charge the tickets like you're showing up. Incidentally, this is going to be a very difficult to sell ticket when Anthony Davis and LeBron James don't load manage that game in the garden, but the Knicks, for whatever reason, decide that R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson need the rest. So it's, it's going to be very difficult for Knicks fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Rainsworth. Now is the segment of the show where we talk about the Houston Rockets. So I figure you might be slightly interested. Actually, we're going to specifically talk James Harden with our thesis statement being the best spot for James Harden to play over the next two seasons is Houston. Now, I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth, and if this is not an A for you, um, you're going to have some explaining to do. <laughs> what? what? He, James Harden's trying to get traded? What? What's going on? Uh, I, what I will say, I, I am going to sit at like... 
a B plus, A minus. Um, I've got some semantic deals and some schematic deals with the semantics with the thesis and some schematic with hardened, but we'll get into that in a second. I'm going to go C, and it really comes down to this. If it's about money, he should say in Houston, and then it's an A. If it's about championships, he has to get out of Houston, so then it's an F, so I settle at a C. <laughs> okay. okay, Mr. Ainsworth. I am actually stunned that you went A minus B plus. So I'm curious, how are you going to save your Houston Rockets card? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously it's a franchise built on John Wall and Boogie Cousins. As, <laughs> as I look at the thesis, though, it talks about the next two seasons. And I don't know that I agree on the two seasons front, that if he really is disgruntled and really does want out, I'm going to make an argument for him to stay this season. I also understand the trade aspect and this, that, and the other, but if he were to play the season out and still want out, then I think the truth is is that, like, okay, I don't think they should completely revamp their team again next year. And so then it might just be time to move in different directions, right? Because if he were to play this year with Wall and Cousins and Wood and they kept Gordon and Tucker and so on and still want out and still want whatever next summer, then obviously he's got one year left on his deal. His trade value is very different. And... He's still, you know, an early 30s MVP, perennial MVP candidate, and he can still go play wherever and, and this, that, and the other thing. And he will have done this whole Houston Rockets experience for another year in its newest iteration because I don't think they're going to blow the whole team up again next year and keep him and do something completely different around him as they clearly have tried to do this offseason. I keep wanting to say this summer, but this offseason. <laughs> um, you bring up the money thing, and I think people read way too much into the not signing the extension a couple weeks ago, because um, if you look at things that he's only eligible to make more money the longer he waits on that extension. It's why guys of that caliber don't sign the five, six-year deals very often. Unless they have injury history and things like that, he does not. They typically sign shorter deals because the caps go up and the numbers go up and their values go up. And so him not signing an extension that would keep him here for four more years is really just a smart maneuver on his wallet's end um i love how you personalize his wallet it's a smart move on his wallet's end <laughs> when you're that when you're that big you are a person um so <laughs> we hadn't even mentioned like he's making nearly 50 million dollars a year from adidas and has all of these endorsement deals and body armors and this that and the other and so, so you're saying I, he's not hurting for cash <laughs> yeah the, the idea that like well he he turned down that money that must mean he's really really unhappy like ah, that's not what it is <laughs> that's, um but so as i look at the james harden thing and i think about it the thesis had just said this season i think that's a more interesting thesis because i look at the trade scenarios and i struggle to find a team if if Houston's front office is not lying and saying that we're not swapping him for anything less than All-Stars in a package surrounding All-Stars, what team is out there that will give you back an All-Star and a package around that All-Star and is also still going to be a favorite when he arrives? Can I give you like six? <laughs> well, but I'm saying a, a favorite, not like a good team, because I think there's a handful of teams that are very, very good in this situation. But I mean like... A favorite in a sense that it's like, holy crap, that team, like the way that Durant went to the Warriors and I was like, this is now their show, right? Is uh, there a team like that uh, out yes, there? Yes, yes, And I can go through. A so uh, I am actually looking at an article that was done by Complex, right? I guess what I'm looking at are just these trade scenarios that were done in this article. And in this article, these trade scenarios that are done are like put through the trade machine. So they are ones 
that are viable. Would you agree that if Harden went to the Nets, that's a game changer? You would agree that if he went to the 76ers, that's game changing, right? Right. I think a lot of these scenarios, the becoming a favorite hinges on who gets to stay in these cities when Harden gets there. No worries. Harden going to Denver, knowing that in the deal, Denver is able to keep Jokic and Murray. Now, I know what you're going to say, which is, well, then Houston's not going to do that deal. And I'm not there yet. We'll talk about the pieces that are coming back. Just Harden going there and knowing that that's going to be the big three, I would say that that would be game-changing. Harden going to Miami, and Miami keeping Bam as well as keeping uh, Jimmy Butler, that could be game-changing. Harden going to Milwaukee, and Milwaukee keeping Greek Freak feels like that would be game-changing. I do think that if if you're trying to get back an MVP caliber guy there's probably only one team that could do the deal and that's philadelphia in the sense that i don't think milwaukee's giving up freak for Harden. you know what i mean so no. it's really gonna be philly got, who can give up ben simmons so the denver one of those would be the one i've looked the least into but i do have thoughts on each of these trades so i'm interested to hear what you think comes back on each of them okay let's go through some of these trades that were put together by uh complex and then we'll talk about a couple of other deals that i think are interesting as well the trade right. is Harden to Brooklyn for Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, and a couple of first-round picks. Now, let's keep in mind that this article was done in November, so one of those first-round picks was actually this year. But the Nets, right. they got picks, so the Nets could do two first-rounders. Now, I say right. that to you. What do you say? There's an and, all-star in there. Yeah, I think the difference there is that uh, the reports were always that that was not enough for Stone. I think the funny thing about that offer to me is the longer this drags out, that may end up being one of the better ones because of a guy like Dinwiddie, right? Now, if Houston, you know, if Houston renegotiates and it takes that offer in next June, I think we've also, you know, debunked this thesis a little bit because we're talking about two years versus a year. Um, I But I think Stone has made very clear that if it's with, if it's with Brooklyn, he wants Kyrie, and they're not going to get Durant, but he would want Kyrie back. Um, he Which is interesting because I'm wondering if he still would want Kyrie now that he's got Wall. Because, like, those guys can't play together. If you're Brooklyn, you'd be more likely to give up Kyrie than Durant, obviously. Unless Durant doesn't look like himself when he comes back and plays. But um, I, I do think that it's interesting that you talk about Kyrie and Wall playing together. Because are they going to pair Kyrie and Harden together has been the fascinating thing about the Nets topic, right? It's like, how would that work with two guys that are, you know, Durant can play off the ball. He did when he had to in Golden State. I think the idea of Kyrie versus Harden with the ball is interesting. I enjoy seeing something like that play out. And I think it could be something kind of like how we watched the Heat play out for a year. They figure things out and then we're dominant for the next two years. No, I, I mean, it would be interesting to see Brooklyn, I guess, come down and run a bunch of isolation sets because that's essentially what's going to happen, right? It's going to be ISO Kyrie, ISO Harden, or ISO Durant. Well, that's and three, I, three ISO guys that can also knock down the catch-and-shoot jump shot. And so, like... They're, they're also will all catch and shoot and make threes with Joe Harris in the other corner. And like there, there are aspects of that that I think are interesting. The Rockets, 76ers. So their complex has a deal and I could go through the deal, but I just kind of want to move a little more quickly than we are right now. So yeah, Harden, you know, you're getting Ben Simmons back. You know that you're going to have to give up something else as well. Like that's the thing because the contract piece, 
right? Ben Simmons is at around $30 million. Harden's at $40 million. So it's got to be something else in order to take back some other Philly contracts. So it's well, probably someone like P.J. Tucker. Well, and I was also I was seeing it was like Harden and Tucker or Harden and Gordon, which are actually very different traits to me. But you were getting back a thigh bowl and a somebody else out of Philly. Um, but the, the centerpieces are obviously Harden and Simmons. I think as I look at Houston's current roster, unless you throw out something I haven't heard of, that this is probably the one that makes the most sense for Houston. Uh, it changes who they are as a team dramatically right they go from the team that shot only threes to a team with wall and simmons on it that shoots meh but like it's a very good defensive team all of a sudden because simmons is a tremendous defender at multiple positions uh lots of great passers on the floor between those two and boogie it becomes a very different team all of a sudden um and so i i do think that that weirdly is the one of these i'm going to hear that makes the most sense harden and Embiid in philly um i don't know that they're like this giant favorite any more so than they are i mean they're a little bit closer to the top i think than they are now but they've also been bounced in the second round and they i mean they had jimmy butler as a with those two guys a year ago and they got to the second round so like i i also you know wonder if they become a favorite or just a really good team all of a sudden i want to throw a trade at you that i think is underrated the denver deal which would have harden going to the nuggets the rockets would get back will barton Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., and two first-round draft picks. Now, one of those draft picks, because, again, this article, when it was done, would have been the 2020 pick that Houston actually gave to Denver. So, like, getting their draft pick back. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm sure that Denver could finagle two first-round draft picks. So, now I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. Is that interesting to you? Because I think that that's stupid interesting, considering John Wall, Boogie Cousins, what the current makeup is, you, ben Simmons is a great player. Ben Simmons and John Wall, it feels like they want to do similar things. Michael Porter Jr. can play off of John Wall, and Gary Harris can play off of John Wall. And now you got Boogie Cousins. Well, and it, it fits the mold we have. We don't care about injuries anymore because of Michael Porter's injury history as well. The, I think the interesting, the funny joke I heard about that was not injuries, though. It was a joke about uh, Michael Porter and Tillman Fertitta would be able to trend, attend rallies together and how much fun that would be. But I think that the... <laughs> I think that the way I look at that is I don't understand why if you're Houston, if you're Houston and you turn down a guy like a Dinwiddie as a like, he's at the bottom tier of all-stars, but is an all-star out of Brooklyn. I don't, you're like putting a lot of eggs in the potential basket that you're pulling back with this Denver deal you're offering. You don't think that quarter ceiling is higher than Dinwiddie's? Oh, I absolutely do, but he also already had major back surgery. So that, like, it's like you're putting more eggs in the potential basket, and like we said on a different pod, potential just means you ain't done it yet. I think he <laughs> will be better, though. Like, I, I, If he stays healthy and plays his whole career, I think you're right that he'll be better. Uh, I think it, the interesting thing there to me is that what no one has said about all these hardened trade destinations is they're all in the East. And so that's a way to keep him in the West – and I don't know if it's Houston or Harden that doesn't want to keep him in the West and have to play him or don't have to play against, you know, if he's like saying, I'm going opposite LeBron or whatever he's trying to, right? Um, and just whatever he's doing, that Lakers team only got better. And so if he's trying to get out of the West, that may be a reason he don't want to go there. Um, that is a good team, though. That is a like Jokic, the way he passed the ball, Murray, the way he shoots the ball, and Harden, the way he scores the ball. That's a tremendous team all of a sudden. Let me throw the Miami trade at you, and just real quick. Harden would go, and really, it's contract pieces like Kelly Olenek and Andre Iguodala. Now, the pieces that you would get back that would be interesting for Houston, you get back Tyler Hero, 
You get back Duncan Robinson, two young guys who showed out, and you would get a first-round draft pick. Would that be interesting to you as a Rockets fan? So th- this comes down all to how much you think the Tyler Hero was like a flash in the pan in the playoffs and bubble, or if that shooting stretch is going to continue. Um, if you think his ceiling is that of an all-star type player, it's, again, comparable to the Michael Porter Jr. deal. I might rather have Michael Porter than Hero. Um, but I will say it's interesting that this trade would close the door for them on the Giannis sweepstakes that they, I, you know, the more you read about Miami, they seem to think they're in. Except Giannis, if you're Miami, though, right? If I can trade for Harden, I don't have to hope that Giannis wants to come to Miami. Sign. Right. right. It's a, it's a surefire thing. So the balance I was going to pick, I was going to start on the other side of the scale, but the balance I think there is that I think Giannis mentally fits what Miami, you know, they talk about heat culture, what they do more than James does. James is very me, me, me. And frankly, there's been times where he's had to do that to win. If Harden went to Miami, his points per game would decrease by 20. He would be up all night. I don't know that he, <laughs> it'd be hard for him <laughs> to exist in Miami. Okay. Here are the two trades that I think are the most interesting. I think, benefit both teams the most. Harden to Portland with the Rockets getting back CJ McCollum, Zach Collins, Anthony Simmons, Nas Little, and two first round draft picks. I say that to you. What do you say? So I hadn't heard much about Portland until I was doing deeper research for this because I assumed we're going to be digging up stuff that I hadn't seen. Uh, (laughs) I will say that that makes Portland look really good. I again go back to because of CJ's age, he's not the same kind of ceiling potential guy that you get in a Porter or a Hero, right? As we've been talking about, and he plays better with Wall, though. I mean, he would, I, I don't... He would probably fit better with Wall. I I go back to the Dinwiddie as far as comparing like where they are in their careers, and if they're turning down the Nets deal, accepting this one's interesting. It is certainly a lot of players though that you could continue to work as assets uh like they did with Ariza. Ariza was literally a Houston Rocket <laughs> for like 36 hours um so I don't, I don't know how, what they think about those guys I would think if you accept that trade why wouldn't you have accepted the Brooklyn trade with Spencer Dinwiddie you demanded to get back Kyrie are you not because McCollum's better than Dinwiddie though like to me this trade's more attractive because McCollum Ben Simmons is the only player that I've said that I feel like might be better than CJ. I don't think Dinwiddie's better than CJ. And I think that CJ still has some room to grow. And I think that CJ is going to play better next to John Wall than even Dinwiddie would. Now, the issue to me is between Wall and McCollum, they're so short. I just don't know who you're guarding. But right. I, I don't say, know. I think that what you that lose anyway. in what you lose in shooting and not taking CJ like CJ shooting what you lose in comparing him to Dinwiddie, you gain in defense because Dinwiddie's longer and more stout. Uh, I, I I do think that it's an interesting back and forth. And again, though, I come back to this is interesting to me in reading about these trade options because they're not on his list and they're in the West. And I go back to the same thing they do with Denver. Like, is there a reason that they're not looking West for any of these? Okay, so then let's talk about the other interesting trade. That's in the East. <laughs> right. It would be sending Harden to the Bucks, getting back Chris Middleton as the centerpiece. I haven't seen a ton of how this would actually be structured so that the trade would be approved. But I do know that Middleton makes enough money that you could structure this thing. You might have to do Harden and Tucker and then get, you know, a, a Lopez twin back, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm curious, though how you would feel about Chris Middleton being the centerpiece and Harden departing. I was saying 
uh, Middleton, DiVincenzo, and Pitt, and like the other half of their future picks <laughs> because they gave up the first half for Drew Holiday. And then <laughs> the Houston side was going to be Harden and Gordon. Uh, Gordon coming in, filling a six-man role kind of thing because uh, they already have power forwards, obviously, in Giannis that they may not want a Tucker. But they, what, I was, what I think is interesting there is that would require, in many ways, mortgaging the future for the present. And I actually like the idea of Middleton and Houston. I think he fits well. I think he could play off of wall well. I think he is the caliber of player that the package coming back. He, you know, he is an Eastern Conference All Star. He can. He showed in the bubble when Giannis went down that he can have a big night scoring. You know, and like I think that is the caliber of player we're looking at. As far as what I'm reading about with Stone, once I think is that we're talking about Houston once back. I think what's interesting there is. If Milwaukee does that before or without Giannis signing the extension, the fear of him walking in the summer becomes very real because all of a sudden, next summer, you could end up with a team that is much worse than the current Rockets team as far as like Houston, James Harden and a bunch of guys around him that are like hoping he scores 50 points <laughs> because if Giannis were to walk next summer, Drew Holiday as your number two, Clearly, they just showed in New Orleans doesn't make the playoffs. And so I don't know how that works out for them. I think it's real cute how you believe that James Harden is going to stay in Milwaukee, if you honestly. It's only another year. If Giannis goes only another year. Yeah, but Milwaukee's going to trade him, right? Because they, they got to get something. They got to get something, absolutely. All right, Mr. Cummings, we're going to stick in the gym and on the hardwood today. Going with a little bit, I want to say younger, but. The truth is they're not younger anymore. We're going to go through <laughs> college kids. So the thesis reads that college basketball teams that willingly cancel non-conference games should have those games counted as losses in their record. You read that and think what? A plus, 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 plus. <laughs> That's what I think. As long as it's not COVID related, they're just choosing to cancel, it should be a loss. What do you say, Mr. Ainsworth? I'm going to probably sit at an A-. minus. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's strong, um, but I, I'm going to sit at an A- because I think there's some wiggle room in there that needs to be accounted for. But, you know, Big Blue Nation over here, I think, needs all the basketball games. So. <laughs> all right, Mr. Cummings. Now, you went A+. I stopped counting how many plus you did. But you are very firm that this is a strong thesis and that Teams that willingly cancel their non-conference games should have those games counted as losses. There's one really noticeable college basketball team that did this recently. <laughs> and so I want to hear what you got. Yeah, and that's my issue. Duke and the decision that they made. So for folks who are unaware of the situation, I want to take you back to September. We're still deciding whether or not we're even going to play college basketball. You have Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski, who comes out and says... We have to play college basketball because the NCAA won't survive if we cancel another NCAA tournament. It would be too detrimental to the players, to the organization. We have to play. So then we start playing the games. And Duke has no problem with Coppin State and Bellarmine. They win those games. Duke loses to Michigan State in the Champions Classic. And they get absolutely handled by Illinois. Now Duke is 2-2. Two and two. And after the game against Illinois, who's a top-ranked team? It's no, there's no shame in losing to Illinois. But after that game, where it's evident that Duke shouldn't be on the court with them guys, frankly. Krzyzewski comes out and says, I think it's a mistake to be playing these games. I'm not sure if we should be playing them. 
and then responds by canceling Duke's non-conference schedule games. He says the next game we're going to play is against Notre Dame, which means that they have a game against uh, Gardner-Webb. They had another game in there. These are non-conference games that they were scheduled to play. And he's like, we're not playing them. We'll play the ACC games, which feels like a cop-out, frankly. And he he got questioned on it by other coaches. Like, if you were 4-0, would you have the same sentiment? And let me just say, as a University of Kentucky fan, alum, donor, the <laughs> University of Kentucky could have made the same statement. It's not like K- Kentucky's getting beat by Notre Dame, who just beat them yesterday by one point. They got beat by Richmond, who's now in the top 25, but they weren't when Kentucky lost to them. They got beat by a Georgia Tech team that got beat by Mercer. <laughs> okay? And and Kentucky, <laughs> also has, and Kentucky also has a loss to Kansas. Kentucky's only win is against Moorhead State, which, I mean, they beat them by 30. We should beat Moorhead State by 30, right? So Kentucky's 1-4. Calipari has never said we're going to stop playing the games. We're going to play them. Because we said we'd play. Like, we just need to be better, right? We got to coach it better. We got to put players in better spots. This is what you do. You don't stop playing because it's hard. You don't quit because it's tough. What lesson are you sending to your players? And you're a college basketball coach, so you got to be sending lessons to these players. You're a teacher as much as anything else. Well, and so I guess the reason I'm at an A minus is because this does feel very Duke centric, although I want to point out the thesis does not say the school Duke in it, right? So like this thesis is more broad than just what's happening at Duke. The Alabama head coach, Nate Oates, (laughs) said something when asked about it. He's like, the quote was, do you think Coach K, if Coach K hadn't lost those two non-conference games at home, he'd still be saying that? I think that, like you're saying, that there is some element of Duke sounding hypocritical or feeling like, woe is us because we're not very good this year. And it's one of the few years in my lifetime I can sit here and say Duke is down, right? It's a weird year, weird year in college basketball when Texas is noticeably better than Duke. Um, and so I think that that is added in all of this. But I go A- minus because as much as I feel that way about Duke, I don't know that I feel that way about every single institution. Because I will say I would hate to be punishing schools that like were trying to do something preemptively and in to get out in front of keeping their kids safe. Willingly cancel games implies that it's not like COVID forced them to, but that doesn't mean that they're not doing it preemptively to keep something from happening. Like, Okay, I don't but know- what about the teams that were going to play those games against you? So now what you've done because you've willingly canceled that game is you prevented that other team from getting the opportunity to take the court. So now what do you do for those teams then? Those teams deserve a win. You forfeited essentially, no? I don't. I think that I think 2020's pr- proven to be a different year where things aren't necessarily all forfeited. I don't. I don't. I mean, you're not going to call if they never make up a COVID game. You're not going to call that a forfeit either. Absolutely um, not. But keep in mind that we're not talking about you are dealing with COVID on your team, or you're worried about a COVID outbreak from the other team. Now, what yeah. we're dealing with is you're willingly canceling this game, knowing that your team could play it. Your team could go on the floor and go play. The other team could go on the floor and go play. But you're saying no. We're not going to play, which to me that, feels like a forfeit, and it feels like you should have to take the L. And the other team who was ready to play, like Gardner-Webb right. was going to get on the plane. They were going to Cameron Indoor. 
it's supposed to be amateur athletes doing an extracurricular activity, and that's blowing it into a much larger thing. And I don't think hold on, why is it blowing into a much larger thing? Isn't isn't amateur athletics about wins and losses? No, I mean that's why you play the game. That's why we keep the score. No, it's also an amateur game, and it's about college kids being safe. And so what I'm getting at is that I only want a minus. I'm not horribly off base with you either. If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. I think part of me is like, why did they ever say they were going to do it in the first place? But I think that what's really happening here is something that. Shashevsky's long-term assistant, Jeff Capel, said, the quote is, one of the things that has come out about with all of this and everything happening since March when the season was canceled is that I don't think anyone can say anymore that these men are amateurs. That's out the window. They're not. They absolutely aren't. For me, I'm really struggling with that. He said, over of all the years that a kid should be with his family, 2020 is at the very, very top of that. For me, I'm trying to figure out what's the best thing for my guys. He's saying that as a pit head coach at the guy that sat with Krzyzewski for a long time. And I don't know that I horribly disagree. Now, does that mean if you say you're going to do it, you should do it? No. You, if you say you're going to do these things, you need to go do these things. I absolutely get that. I absolutely agree with that. I'm just saying the reason I'm an A- minus and an A+, plus is I don't know that they should have said they were going to do it in the first place. This is amateur athletics. Now, if you want to say it's not, and I think it's very naked that it is not, then we need to roll with that and say that it's not. Because these are essentially guys being treated like professionals in some weird way, the way they have to support the schools, that being treated almost like frontline workers. Like they have to go make this money so the school can function, right? And so I think that if we're going to treat them like that, then we need to start that conversation as well. Well, listen, we've had the conversation about the NCAA and amateurism. So right, we can, we don't we can, we we don't can cycle disagree back and yeah. yeah, absolutely. We can cycle back and and give those points again, or you can just go ahead and listen to our catalog of podcast. But <laughs> no, I guess my, I my do, point here is I do think it's pertinent to this, though. I I, well, I don't mean to cycle I, back I, to the, I actually that old don't. Podcast. I actually don't think that it's pertinent, and the reason why it's not pertinent to me is because the decision was already made that we're playing. So if the decision is made that we're playing, then you play. It's one thing to say. Should we be playing these games at all? That's the amateurism argument. Like, should we be playing these games at all? But we've already made the decision that we are. And everyone was on the same page that we were going to play. And then everyone put out their schedule. And it's not Charleston Southern's fault that you're 2-2 two and two and you couldn't beat Illinois and Michigan State. Like, right. them kids knew that Duke was on the schedule, said... Yeah, I'm still opting in. I'm playing. They've been practicing and we're ready to go. And COVID didn't ravage their team. COVID didn't ravage Duke's team. Duke has lost games and decided we're not going to play. And now they want to use COVID as an excuse. If Mike Krzyzewski would have come out after the Coppin State win and said, I don't know if we should be playing, then okay, I would feel differently about Duke's situation. If he comes out, even after the Bellarmine win, and says, yeah, listen, we're 2-1, but I don't know if we should be playing these games. You wait until after you get run off the court by Illinois, and you get, you've been run off the court essentially by the two ranked teams that you're playing. It's not about amateurism. If it was about amateurism, for him, that would have come up. So now I understand what you're saying, Mr. Ainsworth, which is we have to extrapolate this beyond Duke, right? And the th to, if the thesis were just Duke, I, I think we'd have both been a plus, and I'm only at an a minus. Again, I don't disagree. No, absolutely. Entirely. I don't want to. I don't want to hop on you and act like I'm tearing you apart because we disagree so fervently. I guess my thing is, is that once everyone decided we were opting in, 
And if you just willingly say, I'm not playing, you forfeit. You didn't, it's not a COVID I, cancellation. That's a forfeit. You forfeited those games. It didn't have anything to do with COVID. So I, I guess I'm not interested in folks kind of bringing that piece into it because it didn't have anything to do with that. But I don't think it's fair to sit this just on Duke because I think we both agree that the Duke thesis would be an A+. They should absolutely... But Duke's the only one doing it. Like, that's the thing. So unless there's another Only team, one doing it on the, December 13th, 2020. Like, this, the country's in a weird place. It's, you know that we've shown in the past eight, nine months that the, everything could change literally on a dime tomorrow. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. And I know how much you guys love it when I yell at Parker. So I basically did that the whole last <laughs> second. Um, which is crazy because our grades were basically the same. We both had A's. <laughs> and we still managed to disagree. Um, Parker, why don't you go ahead and give out your socials. And then uh, maybe that'll be the opportunity for you to actually give your reasoning <laughs> as to why you think yeah. that this thesis was crazy. Since I didn't really you give you a chance. <laughs> you can also come in full caps, all caps, yell at me on Twitter at Painsworth512. That's at... P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. I'll also respond to the show's Twitter. That's at FN Sports 2. That's at F-I-N-S-B-O-R-T-S, number 2. I'll use dash P-A. Shock will use dash C-C. So you can tell which one of us is yelling at you. Uh, so, <laughs> not giving you our time, Shaka. But we also have an Instagram. No, absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on my social media, both my Twitter and Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. I do not use the all caps thing. So you won't know that I'm yelling at you. I'll just be sarcastic with you and then I'll hit you with the hashtag don't flunk with us and that'll just be it. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the podcast this week. Please remember, go out, like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things that help out the pod and... Please remember, when it comes to sports, don't fuck with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.